We're in Revelation chapter 20 uh, this evening. On Wednesday nights, we're going in-depth from our weekend text. So we're going to be focusing this evening on verse 6. If you would read with me the first six verses, and then we'll pray together. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1, going down to verse 6. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus, for the word of God, who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection over the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that this life is not all that there is. That we have a future and a hope. That we're going to rule and reign with you for a thousand years. Then that's going to lead into the new Jerusalem. Eternity with you. So God, would you fill our hearts with hope? Would you fill our hearts with faithfulness? Would you meet us here tonight? Lord, thank you for those that have made the effort to be here tonight. And I just pray that you'd bless them, that you'd bless those that are online as well. In Jesus, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Oftentimes, we ask this question, is this all that there is? As we go through this life, we're longing for there to be something more. We look forward to the next stage of life. You know, when you're a, a teenager, you're a senior in high school, you can't wait to get out of high school, and then you can't wait to get out of college, and then you get that first job, and then you want that, that next job. You get this car, and then you want the better car, and the list just goes on and on and on. And we need to lift our eyes. We need to lift our eyes to eternity to realize that we're just scratching the surface, This life, we're just really scratching the surface and then entering into eternal life. What we're studying here in this section of Revelation is a thousand year literal reign of Christ. Where Christ returns on the Mount of Olives. You remember chapter 19 records for us the second coming of Christ. We know from Acts chapter 1 and Zechariah 14 that Jesus is going to return on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is going to split and living water is going to flow from the Mount of Olives. Christ then is going to rule and reign over the nations of the world. Everything that we're longing for politically, everything that we're longing for in leadership is going to be found with Jesus at the helm. And we as believers 
are going to be alongside of him to rule and reign with Christ. There's a lot actually going on in this chapter as we stop to think about it, go into it a little bit more in depth. Uh, Let's focus in at verse 6, and we're going to do three things tonight. Three things that we're going to look at is the first resurrection, the second death, and the millennial reign of Christ. That's the first resurrection, the second death, and the millennial reign of Christ. So this is verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who's part of the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be the priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So what in the world is this first resurrection? Well, we know from the text that if you're part of the first resurrection, then the second death cannot touch you, cannot hurt you. The the second death is the eternal separation from God, being thrown into the lake of fire. We're going to cover that more in just a moment. The first resurrection is for all of those who are in Christ, those that have trusted Jesus for salvation, those that have died in Christ and that are buried, and also those that had gone through the tribulation and died and are with the Lord in Christ. Everyone who is in Christ is part of this first resurrection. We know from 1 Corinthians 15 that this first resurrection is when we as believers receive our glorified bodies. You can turn there with me if you'd like. This is 1 Corinthians 15 verse 50 where Paul describes when we as believers are raised up and receive our glorified bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. This body cannot inherit eternal life, this body that we have right now. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. This idea of sleep is speaking of those who have died in Christ, those that are buried with Christ. They they sleep, but they won't remain in this place of sleep, but will be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. At the rapture of the church, when the trumpet is blown, the dead in Christ rise first. We see this from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So here's the question for us. If you die and you go home to be with the Lord and you don't receive your glorified body till this first resurrection, what kind of state are you in in heaven, right? Well, technically, you don't have your glorified body yet. But we know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So your spirit is at home with the Lord. But heaven is going to be much more like an eternal now. I don't think necessarily that we're going to be up in heaven going, Oh man, when am I going to get my glorified body? When am I going to get my glorified body? Time is going to be completely different in heaven. If it is that there is time uh, in heaven... We know that a thousand years to us is like a day unto the Lord. So you might be waiting for a few moments for your your glorified body. But what a moment that this is going to be when the dead in Christ rise and the graves are opened. Seems like some kind of mummy apocalypse, right? 
those that are cremated, those that are buried, those that the bodies have never been found, if they're in Christ, God's going to change your body. He's going to transform your body, and you're going to receive a glorified body. Paul writes, and he tells us in 2 Corinthians, that the outward man is perishing. Can I get an amen? Do you feel that one? Right? Is the mirror telling us that that's true? That the outward man is definitely uh, perishing, but the inward man is being renewed, and that trials and afflictions are actually working for us for an eternal glory. I don't like it that my body fails. I'm sure you don't like it that your body fails, that you don't like it that loved ones, their, their bodies fail, but it is a reminder to us when our bodies fail that we are not eternal on this side of heaven, that this is temporal that this body is meant to perish, but then God is going to raise us up. And he's going to take this body and transform it into a glorified body that's like Christ. Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. And that's good news, and that's something for us to, to look forward to. We're going to be, be changed in the moment the dead in Christ will rise. Verse 53, For this corruption must put on incorruption, And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption is put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Because Christ is risen from the grave, the grave's not going to have the final word, and death is going to be swallowed up in victory. Mortality, death is going to put on immortality, eternal life. Here's this declaration of victory in verse 55. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of it is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation says you're blessed if you're part of the first resurrection. The first resurrection is what? All those who are in Christ, when Christ raptures the church, blows this trumpet, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. When the rapture happens, the dead are going to go first, then those who are alive in that moment will be caught up and we're going to meet in the air and we're going to forever be with the Lord. Try to picture this. Maybe maybe this is kind of gross, but maybe somebody's buried under this church concrete slab. I mean, we're talking generations, right? It's probably pretty possible. Maybe right about where you're sitting. (laughs) And the rapture happens, and all of a sudden, the dead arise, and they've got their glorified bodies, and and then all of a sudden, you're going too, and you meet in the air, and you're like, how you doing? And then we're forever with the Lord, right? That's the first resurrection. We're, we're in Christ. But that's not the end of the fun. That's what the book of Revelation teaches us. Is then we're going to return with Christ. And we're going to rule and reign with Christ here on this earth for a thousand years. Here's an application that 1 Corinthians gives us. Verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. In light of this first resurrection, in light of eternity, keep going. Be steadfast, be immovable, abound in the work of the Lord. God sees and that reward is coming. So now let's talk about the second death. 
from Revelation 20, verse 6. What is this second death? It's referenced for us four times, all in the book of Revelation. This is Revelation 2, verse 11. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. This is a promise given to the church. If you overcome, you're not going to be hurt by the second death. What does it mean to overcome? First John tells us that we overcome by believing that Jesus is the Son of God. It's by, by faith in who Christ is that we overcome, by continuing in the gospel. This is Revelation 20, verse 14. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And then Revelation 21, verse 8, we're going to study this verse in more detail on Sunday and Saturday night. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Not struggling uh, with these sins, but a lifestyle of these sins, a lifestyle of, of rejecting Christ. So, what's the progression for believers if the rapture doesn't happen? Well, you die, and you're buried, or you're cremated. Your soul goes to be with the Lord. When the rapture happens, the dead in Christ rise. You get your glorified body. You return with Christ, rule and reign for a thousand years. It's a different trajectory for someone who rejects Christ through the course of their lifetime. Say no to Christ, no to the gospel, refuse Christ, they die. That's their first death. And upon their first death, they go to Hades. That's described in Revelation 20, verse 14. Hades is a holding tank for the great white throne judgment. We see this also described as Abraham's bosom. In the Gospels, there was Lazarus, the, the beggar, who was on paradise where those that believed in Christ were waiting for Christ's death and resurrection so they would be taken to heaven. But there was a big gulf and there was a side of torment, those that had rejected Christ and you couldn't cross between the two. So someone that doesn't know the Lord right now, they go to Hades and they stay there until after this millennial kingdom where Satan is released for a short time. He's bound for a thousand years. Then he's released for a short time, gives people the opportunity to choose. Some will choose Satan. And after that, then the dead, unbelieving dead, are raised up and they stand before the great white throne judgment. And their life, as you continue to read Revelation 20, is judged before the Lord. The books are open. Their works are, are open. And they find themselves guilty before God because they don't have Jesus as their mediator. They don't have Jesus as their, their advocate. Then they're cast into the lake of fire, eternal uh, torment. We talked about this some this weekend, but the reality of, of hell is weighty, isn't it? The, the reality of people not knowing Christ and being eternally separated from, from God but notice that God has taken every attempt to allow someone to know Christ. 
this thousand year period, this millennial reign of Christ, we're going to look at that in more detail in, in just a moment, is God saying, look, here's another opportunity with Jesus in charge, a time of peace, a time of blessing, a time of prosperity, but yet there's still some that reject Christ as uh, their saviors. So what's the first resurrection? That's the resurrection for believers. That's when we receive our glorified bodies at the rapture of the church. What's the second death? First death, your physical death. Second death, eternal separation uh, from God. So the third thing that we're going to look at is this millennial kingdom. From Revelation 20 verse 6, it says it's a thousand year reign of Christ. And we're going to reign with Christ during this, this time period. Turn with me to Isaiah 65, verse 20. Isaiah 65, uh, verse 20. We see a more detailed of what the millennial kingdom is going to like. What this thousand year reign of Christ is, is going to be like. Can't you just imagine how good it is going to be for, for Jesus to be ruling and reigning? For his government to be put in place? We as people really are warring against God. The nations are really warring against God. And corruption and and greed and sin, it it all gets in the way. For Christ to be here on the earth again for a much longer period of time, not a 33-year period, but a 1,000-year period as the King of Kings and as the Lord of Lords. And this is the result of his leadership in Isaiah 65 verse 20. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed." So no longer will there be an infant who's born that just lives for a few days. There's nothing more brutal than seeing a parent bury their child, bury their infant. To see an infant pass away suddenly, pass away in their sleep, a stillbirth. That's not going to take place any longer. You're not going to have an old man that didn't fulfill his days. You're you're not going to have somebody die uh, prematurely. During the millennial reign, if you die as a hundred-year-old, you're considered dying in your youth. (laughs) Like, if you live to be a a hundred now, that's amazing. Uh, A few weeks ago, I was at the the barbershop. Wyatt and I were at the barbershop, and a guy was getting his hair cut, and he was 90 years old, and he was like talking to the barber who's 79 years old. And they were talking about retirement, and he's like, yeah, I just retired four years ago. He retired when he was 86 years old. And this 90-year-old guy, he was just in such great health, and his, his mind was, was alert. And, and the barber's like, yeah, I'm going to retire when I'm 100 years old. You know, been cutting hair for for I don't know how long. And it just, just blew my mind to, to think. And I, so I came home and I was talking to Amber. And I was like, what if I lived to be 90 years old? I haven't even lived half my life yet. You know? 
I don't know that I want that, to be honest with you, but that, that's, that's up to the Lord. It seems like 90 years is a really long time uh, to live. But during this millennial reign, if you die at 100, you die as, as a child. Really, this is health and longevity. Isn't this what we long for on this earth? I mean, so many articles, so many social media posts, so, so many videos on, on health and longevity. Like, how do you live healthy in your body? How do you, how do you live a long life? We, we crave this, this health and longevity, and they're going to have that during the millennial reign. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. This is stability. This is gardening. This is enjoying the work of, of your hands. It's so difficult to get established. Like right now in this, this housing market, to try to buy a home, it, it's so terribly expensive. Like when did we become the new Southern California? But, but we did, right? So trying to get established, trying to, trying to buy a home. And, and here we see families established. They, they've built homes and they're inhabiting them and they're, they're planting vineyards and they're able to eat the fruit of their hands. And, and this is something that we long for, don't we? We long to have a little home where we can raise our family. We, we long to have a garden that we get to enjoy the, the fruits of. And, and gardening's a thing again, isn't it? And having your own chickens, that, that's a thing as well. And they're living this out in the millennium. They're, they're established. They, they've got homes and they're able to enjoy the fruit of their hands. They have stability. They shall no longer labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble, for they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and for their offsprings uh, with them. Man, we get tired of laboring in vain. You ever feel like, oh man, praise the Lord, I got a raise. Oh, bummer. Inflation went up 7%, right? Or finally feel like there's a little bit of a breakthrough and then poof, there, there it goes. You know, something breaks down and feel like we're just toiling in vain. That's not the way it's going to be in, in the millennium. There's a future and a hope for their children. They're not just bringing up their children for destruction. There's the blessing of God that's upon their children and their grandchildren. Can't ask for anything more than that. It shall come to pass before they call, I will answer. And while they're speaking, I will hear. There's a closeness with the Lord. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. So there's peace in the animal kingdom. And oddly enough, this, this is something that we long for. We long to, to see the animal kingdom flourish and be cared for and for there to be peace and, and harmony. And what do we experience now? Prior to the rule and reign of Christ, there, there's not harmony in the animal kingdom. Like birds eat other birds. Goldfish eat goldfish. Like when you really look at it and you really study it, you go, man, you guys are cutthroat. You're, you're nasty to, to each other. You're simply just looking out for, for yourself. We'll see how all this goes with re, reintroducing wolves into the wild and not letting ranchers protect their, their cattle. I think the wolves are going to win. That's how that one's going to go, right? 
But in this time of the millennial kingdom, the wolf is going to feed together with the lamb. Oftentimes we've heard it said, the lion's going to lie down with the lamb. That's a possibility too. Definitely fits, but the scripture says the wolf is going to feed together with the lamb. The lion is going to eat straw like an ox. Instead of a a lion killing other animals, he's just going to eat straw, eat hay like an ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. So a serpent no longer killing a mouse to eat. It's just going to eat the dust and that's going to be the food. So there's this peace in the animal kingdom. I want to try for just a moment to think about the millennial kingdom from a broad perspective, from say like 30,000 feet. Why is God allowing, choosing, ordaining this thousand years where Christ rules and reigns? Why would he put Satan in a bottomless pit for this thousand years, then let him out for a little season, give people the opportunity to choose, then throw Satan into the lake of fire. So here's a couple of takeaways. The first is, God is giving the world yet another chance. This is part of God's unfolding message. When we look at the scriptures, we see God giving us a story that points to Jesus. It begins with Adam and Eve as they're in this perfect environment, this environment where they haven't yet sinned and they have fellowship with God, yet they choose sin. And it shows us that a perfect environment in and of itself is not enough to save us. We need a savior. The very first family has homicide in it. The very first sibling group We see Cain killing Abel, right? We go on through the scriptures and God gives a set of law, the old covenant. Because we would tend to say, well, if I just had a perfect environment, I wouldn't need a savior. Well, that's not true, Adam and Eve. Well, if God just gave me some standards and some laws, I'm sure that I could follow them. Well, how did that work for the nation of Israel? They they failed every time. The law gives us the knowledge of sin. The the laws are schoolmasters to drive us to Christ. If if you're not sure if you need a Savior, just study the law. Study the Ten Commandments. See how you hold up, stack up. And very quickly we go, man, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And this is part of God's unfolding message. Well, then we would tend to say, well, how about everybody just do what's right in their own eyes? Aren't we inherently good? That's the book of Judges. There was no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and it was an absolute disaster. It was just a complete sin fest. And we realize, man, we need a Savior. We're living in a time like that, where there's no standards, there's no right, there's no no wrong. Everybody do what's right in their own eyes, and it's a mess. We're unraveling from from the inside out. We, We need a Savior. Well, then the next logical progression is we just need good leadership, If we had good human leadership, we wouldn't need a savior. If we had the right people in office, things would really change. So God raises up Saul. And Saul was man's choice. He was tall, strong, handsome, smart, wise. And God purposefully allowed Saul to be king because 
Israel was rejecting God's leadership for man's leadership, and it was an absolute disaster. And so much of the Old Testament, we see failed human leadership in the kings and the chronicles. You'd have a king that serves the Lord, and then a king that falls away from the Lord, and a king serves the Lord, and a king falls away from the Lord. That's Judah in northern Israel, much more just walking away from the Lord. We need more than human leadership. We need a savior. And all of the Old Testament then is, is pointing to our need for Jesus to die on the cross. But once again, it's not the end of the story. Jesus dies, rises again, the book of Acts. It's so encouraging because we see salvation come into people's lives by grace We see the birth of the church, this godly community. We see the Holy Spirit changing people from the inside out. Peter, who denied the Lord, who would always say the wrong thing at the wrong time, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's not perfect after being filled with the Spirit. But there's real change and transformation in his life. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's the Holy Spirit living inside of us. His first sermon 3,000 people get saved. The Spirit of God is moving. And and we see this church age happening in the New Testament. Not the absence of problems, not the absence of sin, but the new covenant of God's grace. Then we get into the book of Revelation, the rapture of the church, God's judgment, his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world, Christ returns, believers get to return with Christ, then there's this millennial reign of Christ. Well, well, why is there this millennial reign of Christ in this unfolding message of God's story? God, once again, is showing us our depravity and our need for a Savior, even with Jesus ruling and reigning from the earth, and there being this kind of health and longevity and prosperity and goodness At the end of it, God purposefully lets Satan out so that people have a choice. And amazingly, people choose Satan and the nations of the world. It's not a neutral position against Christ. They want to take Christ out. They make war against Christ. And I really see the millennial reign of Christ is God is giving the world yet another chance. Because you may be asking, well, Who are those that are alive during the millennium? It's those that have survived the tribulation. That haven't died through the tribulation are the ones that live in the millennium. And then the church is ruling and reigning over them. So that when we get to the great white throne judgment, because that's right after the millennium. And it's so intense. God throwing people into the lake of a fire for all of eternity. If you start in Genesis and you go all the way through... And you see that God gave his only begotten son and he's been so long-suffering and patient to show us time and time again that we need, need a savior. The millennium included in that. We go, wow, God, you're so gracious. The millennium is really an expression of God's grace to give people another chance. This is the second takeaway and we'll be done. Is the millennium tremendously motivates us as believers. Please hear me on this. I know it's cold. I know it's a Wednesday night. It's like, man, I need my hot cocoa or cup of tea and go to bed. But in this life, we don't always see God's justice. Is that true? 
We don't always see it. People reap what they sow, but sometimes it seems like people get away with wickedness. And it seems like believers, from our human perspective, get the short end of the stick. Where's God's justice? Believers are being persecuted. Sometimes believers are are being martyred. And we go, Lord, how does this all work out? Don't forget about the millennium. Because this life is not all that there is. And God is going to make things right here on the earth in this millennial kingdom. And as you're faithful now to serve the Lord in small capacities, big capacities, any capacity that the Lord provides, this is then, by God's grace, going to result in reward in the millennium and eternity, and you're going to get to rule and reign with Christ. We mentioned this briefly on Sunday, but you may feel like, I I didn't get to do this. I didn't get to do that. I long to do this, and I long to do that. That's great. Man, as God provides and you're able to do your bucket list, man, praise the Lord. Don't let it become an idol, but enjoy it for the joy of the Lord. But if it doesn't happen, don't be heartbroken because you've got a millennium here on this earth to do all those things in a much greater way with Christ. Plus, after that thousand years, you're going to enter into eternity. Jesus tells us a story. He gives talents, which is money, to three dudes, three guys. And he says he gives them differing amounts of money. He gives one five talents, he gives one two talents, and he gives one one talent, depending on their ability. He, he sized them up, and he's like, I think you can handle more. Here's five, here's two, and here's one. I'm going to go away for a while and come back. And he wanted them to be responsible with, with these talents. And the first guy took the five talents, invested it, and was able to make five more talents. He doubled the money. And Jesus said, well, you've been faithful with a few things, so you'll be faithful with many. The guy with two talents did the same thing, doubled the money. Jesus said, you've been faithful with a few things, you'll be faithful with with many. The last guy gets scared and he says, oh, this is the Lord's money, so I'm just going to bury it. I don't want to lose it. He didn't want to risk it by investing in anything. And Jesus rebukes him. Jesus scolds him and says, you at least should have put it in the bank and and learned some, some interest. But this principle in God's economy is if you're faithful with little, you're going to be faithful with much. And right now, in this life, is, is this testing ground where God's giving us opportunities to be faithful through his power, through his grace in response to the gospel that he's going to then graciously reward in the millennial kingdom when we get to rule and reign with Christ. Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that our lives go through a fire, not for salvation, but for reward. And anything that's done for Christ lasts in these precious gems and and stones, but things that we did for ourselves are going to burn up wood, hay, and stubble. And the scriptures say we're going to suffer loss. And I can tell as soon as I say this is we're all starting to shrink in our seats a little bit. Like we're, we're feeling condemned. We're like, oh man, I, I always live for myself. But there, everything's going to get burned up in the fire. <laughs> Remember God's gracious. 
Jesus said, if you bring a cup of cold water to a child in his name, he's going to reward you openly. He even says, if you take time to pray and you do it in secret, not to be seen by men, that he's going to reward you before the father. So Jesus in his grace is going to be like, this is my boy right here. This is my daughter right here. And she really loved to pray. He really loved to pray. No one ever knew it, but I saw it, and and here's the reward. I think we may be really surprised by some of these rewards when when we get get to heaven, about how gracious uh, that, that the Lord is. But this is the point for us, is that the millennium of Christ should provide some motivation for us as believers as we go through this life. You may be going through this life thinking, I'm going to get the earthly reward. If I do what God wants me to do as a spouse, then I'm going to be guaranteed this amazing marriage. Maybe, maybe not, right? You're married to a sinner. They're married to a sinner. Are you going to do what God's called you to do regardless of if your marriage is rewarding or fulfilling to you? Yeah, I hope so. Why? Because Christ is saved us by, by his grace. And God sees that. And he's going to reward in the millennium. He's going to reward for, for all of eternity. We're oftentimes looking for earthly payback or earthly reward when Jesus promises a heavenly reward, which is far more worthwhile, where moths can't destroy, thieves can't break in, rust cannot damage. But here's the tendency for us as believers is to kind of get complacent. Go, I know I'm God's child. I'm saved by grace. I'm going to heaven. But does it really matter how I live this life? Does it really matter if I love the Lord, follow the Lord, enter into the the things that he has for me? I may not see the earthly benefit or the earthly outcome. And the answer is yes. Resounding yes You're going to see it in the millennium and you're going to see it for all of eternity. And Jesus encouraged us to lay up treasures in heaven. I'll be honest with you. I don't fully understand how this heavenly reward works. I know it's in the scripture, but obviously we haven't lived it yet. But we take the words of Christ where he tells us and declares to us that earthly treasure is far more valuable our heavenly treasure is far more valuable than earthly treasure. Did I get that right? I hope I got that right. So. Hmm. It gets me excited to think about what it's going to be like for Christ to rule, for, for him to reign, for us to rule and reign with the Lord and then to forever be with the Lord. This, this life, this life is not all that there is. Let's stand together and let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for these promises that you're going to come, that you're going to rule and reign for, for a thousand years, that you're giving the world yet another chance. It could have easily just gone your second coming and the great white throne judgment, but you, you put in this the thousand years. By faith, we believe that we're going to rule and reign with Christ. So Lord, would you free us up? Would you Give us an eternal view. May we set our mind on on eternal things. And would you move us to, to faithfulness where it's hard. 
Would you help us through the power of the Holy Spirit to be steadfast, to have our eyes upon you, our eyes upon heaven. Would you refresh us? We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.